We're here today uh, with uh, Dr. David Morris from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, we're glad to have him as part of the, our podcast with uh, the Modern Urologist. And uh, Dave, welcome. Thank oh. you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I uh, want to talk to you a little bit. Uh, you know, recently you've done some work uh, looking at MRI and your group and uh, with regards to prostate cancer. Can you, can you expound on that a little bit more? Tell me your thoughts on MRI and maybe where it's useful or not useful or people are making it more than it is or where it's going. Sure. I, I think there's a couple disease states where MRI is probably the most helpful. Uh, it's had the most attention uh, in the previous negative biopsy trying to struggle to find potential prostate cancer that we think is really hidden there that we've not been able to detect with just systematic biopsies. And so the MRI literature with fusion biopsies was all the rage beginning about two years ago. Um, multiple platforms for doing fusion biopsies. MRIs became very topical. People were ordering them. And honestly, we almost put the cart a little bit in front of the horse uh, in, in community practice because MRIs done of the pelvis and prostate were challenging to read. Um, they were certainly much higher quality in large academic centers that had a focus on looking at prostate disease with the MRI. And uh, so it, it, uptake was very fast, even in communities where it was not always a consistent read. The uh, PIRAD scoring system and the Likert scoring system were being developed and modified over those years. Uh, I think we're at a very different state now than we were then, but initial uptake of MRI actually probably was less than ideal just because people were ordering it all the time without necessarily having any quality control on the appropriateness of what they were getting back. Uh, but certainly programs that launched then have matured and it's much more incorporated as a standard of care. The newest AUA stance is that MRI can be included and considered even for people who never had a previous biopsy. So it's it's had a lot of uptake in the community and certainly in academic centers who really push the development. But even the people who are involved with MRI and fusion biopsies on the front end in terms of establishment have always counseled it as with a little bit of caution in terms of, look, MRI is not perfect. Um, and just because you have a normal MRI does not mean that there's not cancer that could be meaningful in the prostate and vice versa. Just because you have a bad looking MRI does not guarantee that you have high risk cancer. So yeah, I want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, can you talk about uh, either your experience or, or what you know from the literature about that. You know, they say just that you can't just rely on your MRI. So go ahead, can you go sure. into a little more detail on that? So in uh, generally patient counseling for myself, if I have someone who's been diagnosed who is thinking of entering an active surveillance program, uh, beyond just using MRI to detect the previous negative biopsies or before a fusion biopsy, we're often using MRI as almost a risk stratifier for men entering active surveillance. Um, and in that situation, it's probably less proven than it was for helping with biopsy and fusion-directed biopsies uh, because there is a false negative and a false positive rate. So if I tell a patient you have what looks to be low-risk cancer, we're going to obtain an MRI, the MRI comes back negative. And I say that's great, it's reassuring, but there may be, depending on which study you look in, a 20% chance, a 1 in 5 chance that you could have a clinically meaningful, meaningful prostate cancer that we did not find on the biopsy and is MRI invisible. So just because you have a negative MRI does not mean for sure that you're able to say that you don't have a significant cancer. So what do you do because of that? How does, how does your work up your evaluation 
Well, we, we, we use that information. So the good news, you could look at it as a contrary and say, great, four out of five times, you don't have a very significant cancer. Which is like the dentist and, and yeah, four to five. Makes you feel more comfortable with your choice of toothpaste. Yes. But we <laughs> then follow them in a standard way. So I, I would tell them, I don't have anything I can aim at for a fusion biopsy. And for most programs that we've foregone, what was the recommendation 10 years ago with active surveillance was everybody immediately rebiopsies. It's all systematic because we had no MRI at the time. Mm -hmm. But now we tend to get MRIs, we look for lesions, and we use those to do a targeted biopsy to see if there is a higher risk area. But if the MRI is negative, we file that away and it makes us feel a little bit better. But we still end up getting another subsequent biopsy. It's just not a fusion-guided biopsy at that point. Do you get subsequent MRIs if, a negative, if you have a negative MRI at the beginning? That's almost an unanswerable question, but certainly over time, we tend to repeat MRIs longitudinally. It's not something I would order on an every three month or six months or even annual basis. Mm -hmm. It's more driven by change with the patient, anxiety with the patient, PSA changes over time. Even the, the old programs of doing invasive biopsies every two years for someone's on surveillance mm -hmm. has really almost gone away. It's, it's the idea of biopsying somebody to make sure that it's appropriate and then biopsying again if you have some trigger. Um, not just doing a standard, you're coming in, you're due for your biopsy. And I think the uptake for, for AS has been better because we've not told someone, great, if you enter AS, you're gonna now sign up for 10 biopsies over the next 15 years. Yeah. Well, the, the uptake may be good on that, but the duration, the durability is probably down. Cause yes, the more, the more we drive people to biopsy, eventually they just say, well, I just don't really wanna do that. And, and even in centers that use you know, sedation or MAC or things to make biopsies almost as painless as we can make it. I tell patients it's certainly less bothersome for them to have a biopsy than it is to have a colonoscopy. Right, but and you've done hundreds or thousands of biopsies. How many have you felt? None, probably. Uh, it hasn't bothered me one bit. Not so it's a lot bit. like the dentist that you yeah. brought up earlier. So, um, but it's always better to give. It than is receive. always better to be the person who does not need a biopsy in the first place. Correct. And and as a result, patients want MRIs, whether it's right or wrong. They would rather have an MRI than have a biopsy. Absolutely. Um, and so we've kind of fallen to that pressure to be less invasive, avoid sepsis risk and infection and antibiotic stewardship. And so we tend to get MRIs throughout surveillance. If it's MRI visible, you have a reference that you can measure. Is, does it look worse? Is there something new? But for people who are MRI invisible on the front end, we'll often repeat that MRI if there's a rise in PSA over the next few years to see if something is visible now. And if there is, then we can do a targeted biopsy of that location. Where do you think it's going? I mean, five years from now, where do you see MRI? I mean, I, I know people are using it now to maybe help guide surgery, to look for positive margin, you know, so, next capsule extension, but where do you see it? And, that's, and almost that was, that was an interest almost before the fusion biopsy technology. That, uh, MRIs were used to suggest if you could do nerve sparing or not, or how locally aggressive a, a tumor was. And so I don't think that's gone away. In fact, some payers, if I put anywhere in my note, active surveillance, we're going to obtain an MRI, it's almost, it gets flagged as that's not, that's outside of the standard of care. Mm -hmm. But if I say I'm considering this person for surgery and I'm using an MRI for staging purposes, then it's, it's not an issue. It's, it's on this weird dichotomy of, it's the same test. It gives you the same sort of information. Right. But we, we, we will use it in that situation for planning surgically. It's a little less often, um, but maybe that's, I'm not ordering it for that because so many men already have. MRIs obtained before we get to that surgical decision. Before even, you know, are you finding it hard? You mentioned the payers. Are you finding it hard to get MRIs for fusion? Are they 
we were two years ago, mm-hmm. then a year later, it certainly is much better. And now it, it is the isolated case where MRI is rejected or it even requires some sort of phone call or peer-to-peer. Um, and certainly having update stances from national bodies and some European data, there's, there's several prospective trials suggesting MRI improves our biopsy rate. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt that that we can improve on our random biopsies. And I've often told patients, the best biopsy in the world would be if I stuck your prostate with 75 needles and I could tell you exactly what was there. Um, Those sort of templated biopsies, you're talking about a risk-benefit. If you find one tiny piece out of 75 pieces, did you ever need to find it in the first place? You're balancing that with potentially missed cancers. And so MRIs are one tool to help us get better biopsies. I don't know that there is an ideal tool for risk stratification after you have the biopsy. Yeah, uh, you did mention you know people looking at uh, MRI for prognostics, risk stratification, things like that. Can you comment? You know, what what is what's your feeling on that at this point with technology as it is today? I would never push someone in a risk stratification mindset, but based on their MRI scoring. Uh, personally, I don't feel like there's data there to suggest that, oh, you you have to have treatment, you have a pyrad four or five lesion. Um, sometimes those are just very large, low-grade cancers. I do think the MRI scoring can help me obtain a better biopsy, and then I depend on that more appropriate biopsy to help appropriately risk stratify. Do you have a protocol uh, for, for a guy that comes in with an elevated PSA based on, you know, going MRI, fusion biopsy, et cetera, you know, and going forward for that? Well, for like your, a, your group have protocol? Uh, we, we've tried several things over the last several years to more standardize this. So th- whichever urologist you see within our group, you will have a very similar sort of offering. Um, we tend to offer MRIs to patients who had previous negative. We tend to encourage fusion biopsies. Um, but on top of that, we include and incorporate uh, tissue-based genomic testing um, as a way to risk stratify patients for appropriate active surveillance or not. Now, most important question I have for you for the morning is, are you a dry fly guy or do you do like a terrestrial with a, a trailing nymph? I do whatever my guide ties on the end of my line. All right, so um, they know the area and the water better than I do, and I'm just the fool with the rod who tends to put it out in the water. All right, so you haven't gotten to the point like I have where I wear my, my 3X clicks, so when my fly gets caught in a tree and I have to do it, and my guide is up the river with some other guy who's just as bad a fisherman as I am, so I have to sit there and struggle and tie a fly for 20 minutes before I can get you know, back in the water. I'm, I'm impressed. At that point, I'm on, on shore and, and climbing in a tree, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I touched on protocols a little bit and, you know, we'll back away a little bit from MRI and you've developed protocols for your group. Um, how do you, how do you find if, or, or how do you determine if you're actually your partners or your group determines how they're following protocols? Uh, so compliance yes, tracking the word. is 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 almost a four letter word. Yeah. Um, it is very challenging to <laughs> herd physicians, and the joke is always that if you are trying to herd cats, that you just move the milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have we have incorporated protocols mainly to move the needle on active surveillance adoption. Um, those of us with more kind of recent training felt that active surveillance was very safe in low risk patients, even in some low intermediate risk patients. And so the uptake in the group of active surveillance was a new thought and the protocols helped cement that 
in the hands of some of the providers who were a little hesitant at first. Seeing somebody having a 1% to 2% 10-year mortality from prostate cancer speaks a lot to the provider about really what risk is, mm-hmm. and it also speaks to the patient. And, and the patients were much more comfortable. Like when we say low risk, they don't know if that means there's a chance they die in three years or 10 years. Right. When I say low risk means there's a little chance that you die ever, it, it resets their mindset. Yeah. And so um, I think that adopting a protocol helped. We can track our active surveillance rates mm-hmm. to see that, yes, it went from well below 50% to now 75% in a low risk patient. Um, and there's inner provider variability. And so I can look at active surveillance rates by provider within our group. And so certainly some of our industry partners provide feedback on um, our, our test results data, um, saying who is low risk or not by genomic scoring. And then uh, we also have partners in um, kind of a data analytics service that can help provide feedback data for us, that which we can then pair up that says, these are patients who went on to have surgery. These are patients who elected to stay within active surveillance. And so we can look at kind of appropriateness of the decision to stay on active surveillance. And that we're utilizing the data. The worst case scenario from a protocol is I'm ordering tests that providers are not utilizing to make a decision. And so what would really kill a program would be all of a sudden we order a bunch of genomic tests. Say I get, I'm ordering Prolaris. I want to see that someone has a low risk of dying from their cancer. And then you look a year later and my active surveillance rates are the same. Yeah. If that doesn't change, then I don't need to be ordering the test in the first place. And so we, we saw an uptake and we felt comfortable with more standardizing the approach of we recommend that you consider one of these tests if someone is considering active surveillance. What do you do? Okay, you brought up the, the, the C word, compliance. And uh, what do you do in your group or how do you police it, the guys that are inappropriately doing things? I know it's a tough question and every group has, you know, there's carrots and there's sticks. And I found that carrots don't work, sticks work. Um, um. I've got my head in the sand, and I don't know that we have enough time to get into all the ways to manage physician ill behavior. Oh, uh, come on. But, uh, but I've certainly I've learned from you. I've learned from providers and other groups about the best way to do it. Um, as a Southern gentility practice, we tend to stay away from, from sticks. We like to think people are doing the right thing. We do a lot of refocusing education. Okay. Uh, we do a lot of hand-holding outreach of like, look, you know, everybody else has an active surveillance rate that's 50% and above, you're still at 10%. You know, can you explain that? What can we do to re-educate you on why that might be outside of what we would expect as a group? Mm-hmm. And, um, and often there's some constructive feedback from them on why they're there. And medicine has a lot of personal choice and beliefs, but it's, still it's our job to you know, at least try to keep them up to date on what might be considered modern urology. For the modern urologist, and then um, good plug. And, there, and, and then at that stage, we, you know, it's almost like a, we're going to put you on a focused practice evaluation. We're going to come back and kind of track you and let you know how it looks over time, and and see if we can make you more comfortable with moving in the direction the group would like to go. So we haven't seen carrots for the people that follow the rules because they're they're they're, they're the type that want to follow anyway. They want to do the best. But the people the that don't follow the rules. I, it's tough to monetize a stick. Um, I certainly, you can get into your group tends to uh, self-regulate if it's available data that your board, the providers within the group see, 
provider B does not do a very good job in having rates of active surveillance that are similar to everyone else's, within the group, you, you kind of steer PSA elevation patients and prostate cancer patients out of that person's practice. Uh, one last question before I uh, let you get out of here and you can scoot away. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State this year. Do you think this is the year that uh, Khaki Pants gets to keep his job? With uh, What do you think? Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's almost like uh, landing on the moon. I wasn't around to see it. So I don't know that I believe that Michigan can beat Ohio State until I've actually seen it again. See, I was I was at Ohio State uh, during the Cooper years when they could beat Michigan. The other way around. And uh, and as a as a Tennessee and uh, Tennessee and and as a Tennessee fan growing up, um, the Tennessee Alabama has had years decades where it's one way or the other. Yeah, it's been that, but it's difficult to watch. Yeah, see, I'm a. Gator fan for I'm reasons sorry. you don't want to hear. I'm so, sorry. Well, I think lately the Gators have had the, the orange uh, number. But anyway, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh, with your valuable insights. And, um, you know, the uh, try, there's some universal knots you can learn that are pretty easy. Even, for the flies, they get, yeah, okay. yeah, they're Yeah, they're, they're pretty good. The, I'll keep uh, that in mind. All right, take care. Thanks, thank Dave. you.